morning. Wow, what a privilege it is for uh, me to be here. I'm Glenn, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, privilege to, to be together on this uh, great weekend. I trust that you've enjoyed your time, although I know church isn't just for our enjoyment, but it is an opportunity we can enjoy when we're bringing praise to the Lord and we're uh, learning from Him and opening His Word. And we're gonna do that in just a moment. We're gonna look into Genesis. We're continuing on with our series, uh, God is on the Move. We're gonna start off in uh, Genesis 25 this morning. So if you have a Bible in some form, paper, or electronic, then you can take that out and uh, find Genesis uh, chapter 25. We're going to take it from there. But in these last few weeks, we've been talking what I used to think of as the heroes of the Old Testament because that's just the way that I maybe it was presented me that way. Uh, but I realize as I've gotten older and I've studied their lives more and more, I realize uh, it's not that they are great people. It's that God has done great things with, through, and sometimes even in spite of them. And I've found it to be a real encouragement to me. I found it to be a real encouragement to realize these guys aren't perfect, but God still used them. And sometimes these guys did things the wrong way completely and God still accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. And so we looked at in the first few weeks, first week we looked at Adam and Eve and saw that God moves through relationship. And then the next week we looked at Cain and Abel and saw that God moves, even in that situation, God moves to protect. He protected Cain. Uh, we see also in the next week we heard about Noah and the fact that God moves to rescue. And then the week after Abraham and Sarah, God moving with the promise. And then the last week, God moving to provide with Abraham and Isaac. Very exciting passages and familiar passages. And we're gonna look through this next one, Jacob and Esau. And we're gonna see that God moves to forgive. God moves to forgive. And we're going to see that it's not always because of what somebody has done. We're going to look at Jacob and we're going to look at Esau, but mostly Jacob. And we're going to see that he had a tendency to take matters into his own hands and try to manipulate certain situations for his own good, for his own benefit. Maybe even uh, so that even if somebody else was uh, taken advantage of, that was okay as long as it was uh, to his own benefit. He ended up living up to his name, Jacob. He was born, it says that if you look up his name, it means deceiver or it means one who grabs at the heel. In fact, let's look at this. We're going to see that even though Jacob was a deceiver and he deceived Esau, his brother, and he deceived Abimelech and he deceived his father and he deceived his uncle Laban and he was deceived by his uncle Laban, that deception, that uh, mis dis mistrust within the family went on and on and on and we're going to see how God, even still in that situation, that God gave grace. We're going to look, picking up in Genesis chapter 25, uh, starting in verse 21. Isaiah, I'm sorry, Isaac prays to the Lord and asks the Lord to be uh, gracious to his wife, Rebecca, and she became pregnant. And then in verse uh, 22, the babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. She was pregnant with twins, twin boys as it would turn out. And these twins, as she ex uh, expresses her experience, these twins were jostling within, uh, while they were still in the womb. Now, I wasn't a twin, uh, but I was the middle of three boys. And I grew up doing a little, my fair share of jostling. 
as well. Jostling, sometimes in long car rides, we would do the, we sort of sat and we sort of made our territory. We even drew lines in the little upholstery of the car and say, don't cross that line. And we would even do chopping things and that would just tempt the other guy to try to cross the line and we would chop their hand off or at least try to. And we was just, you know, it was a kind, loving environment to grow up in. We did a lot of jostling. There was one time I remember we were really into hockey and we loved all those big body checks and there was one time coming home from church, we're all dressed in our suits. I had a three-piece suit when I was young. Uh, the third piece doesn't fit anymore, so I don't wear it. Um, but we were jostling each other and sort of, we loved the body checks and so we took turns body checking each other and usually the person knew it was coming. Uh, but one time we got home from church, we just stepped in our door our, uh, and my brother, I wasn't looking, I, and my brother just gave me a great big body check. I was standing right in front of our front door. Now our door was mostly wooden, only a big glass insert right in the middle of it and he checked me right through the glass. I landed in the front porch, which is where I just came from I landed on my backside, glass all over the place. In my head, I thought, that was so cool. But, <laughs> but mom and dad were there, so I didn't say that out loud, right? In fact, that's the very first time I've ever said that about the, that story. But we were jostling, so I know what it means a little bit to kind of jostle each other. I ended up having to pay for that glass. No, I think Dean and I split it because he really, it was his fault. At least that's what I still contend. And... Uh, but she was told, she asked to the Lord, what was happening all this within me? And she, and she was told in those verses that followed that there's two nations that are in your womb, in your womb there's two peoples uh, within you and they're gonna be separated. One's gonna be stronger than the other. The, other, the older is gonna serve the younger. All of these things, it seems as though we're, they were determined or at least they were known ahead of time before these children were even born and God knew what was going to happen. There were twin boys in her womb. And the first one, when they were born, it says in verse 25, they came out. Uh, the first one to come out, they named him Esau because of his appearance. Uh, the name Esau means red and uh, uh, ruddy, and, so, and that's what, apparently what his appearance was, and so they named him Esau. Um, and the next one that came out was came out grabbing the heel of his brother. And so they named him one who grabs the heel, or Yaakov, or Jacob. And I was thinking of this this week. Isn't it nice that first we weren't named? I think it was nice that I wasn't named according to first impressions. You know, the moment I was born, the first thing that my parents came to mind wasn't probably Glenn. It was probably weird expression or soiled his pants before he even had pants or whatever it was. Or I'm just glad they didn't name me according to those kinds of situations. But that's what they did. They named Jacob uh, one who grabs at the heel. It also means deceiver. So he was named and he, it was identified on him that he was duplicitous even from birth. And so as he was named, the boys grew up in verse 27, it says the boys grew up and Esau was a, became a skillful hunter and uh, he was a man of, my version says, he's a man of the open country, loved the outdoors. And Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. We're gonna look at a number of life lessons as we go through this passage. And we're gonna try to go through as quickly as we can. There's just so much in this passage. Life lesson number one, we're gonna find out right away that behavior precipitates routine and routine precipitates tradition. It goes from behavior to routine to tradition. This very next verse, it says in verse 28, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. You see at the very beginning, it seems as though dad chose the one he liked. 
the one he loved, the one he favored. And Rebecca made her choice as well. She chose the one that was her favorite. But we will see that as that behavior continued on throughout their lives, it was passed down. And that behavior became routine and that routine became tradition. So it says that Rebecca loved Jacob. Um, and we're going to see in these next few verses how Jacob was, had a tendency in his life, through his life, to take matters into his own hands. To try to work as he could behind the scenes to orchestrate things so that they would work out the best for him. And he didn't ma- it didn't matter to him uh, who he hurt in the process, who he cheated in the process, just as long as he came out ahead. That was seemingly his goal. And so it says in verse uh, 29, uh, once that Jacob was cooking some stew, he was at home, and Esau came in from the open country, and he was famished. He was really, really hungry. He was starved. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. He says, I'm famished. That's, he says, I'm famished. And Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. What a strange thing, except it starts to make me think that Jacob is always scheming. He's always looking for an opportunity. In fact, it seems as though Jacob wanted Esau's birthright. Well, what's a birthright? Esau was born first. So in that family, in that tradition, the firstborn had a special benefit, especially when it came to inheritance. When it came to inheritance, uh, the firstborn had a double portion. So if there were three children, the, por- the, the entire estate would be divided in four, and the firstborn would receive two and the rest would receive one. If, the, if there was only, if there was two, like in this, in this situation, if there was two sons, the, the inheritance would be split in three and the older would receive two and the younger would receive one. And so it seems as though Jacob was quick to think about an opportunity, here's an opportunity, how can I benefit from my, my brother's hunger? And so because he played on his brother's weakness and his hunger, he took his birthright. He sold him his birthright for this, that pot of stew. He swore an oath selling his birthright to Jacob. And it says at the end of uh, verse 34, so Jacob despised. He didn't take, uh, he took lightly this birthright that he had. But we're going to look in this next few passages, next few verses. Look how many times it says, uses the word so or the phrase so that. Uh, This was done so something could happen. This was done so that this would happen. The idea was working behind the scenes, trying to manipulate your life in such a way so you can get what you want out of your life. And I started to think about it this week. I thought, Jacob wasn't a really good, great guy. He's not a guy to, be, to model your life after. However, I can find similarities in my life and Jacob's life. Sometimes you have a tendency to want to work behind the scenes, to try to manipulate a circumstance, to try to set a situation up just so that it will work out in your favor, that will make you look good, that will make me, uh, me happy with myself or my situation, to benefit myself rather than thinking about someone else. And so I'm a little bit um, unnerved when I realize there's parallels in my life with what we see about Jacob. But we have a tendency to, have to be tempted, at least, to work behind the scenes, to uh, maybe skirt the law a little bit, or if it's going to be to our benefit, or maybe try to do something that might be a little bit risky or dangerous, as long as there's a great big reward. In fact, this week I received two emails, uh, very important emails. One of them was from the Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations. 
At least that's what it said in the email. Amazing, right? And it was a matter of a $1.2 million situation that apparently I was needed to help with. Uh, and so uh, I was, somehow they needed my banking information so that I could help with this $1.2 million problem that the UN has. Uh, and the Secretary General apparently wanted, I looked it up and I, the name really wasn't exact. I looked up who's the UN Secretary 